Good evening, family. Hey, Mosaic. I'm glad that you're here tonight. It's good to see your faces. If you're worshiping with us online, glad you're here as well. Let's stand and let's sing together, loud and proud, and let's make it a party. Come on.
Well, good evening, y'all. It's really good to see you guys. And Scott told me that I couldn't say to you at home, good to see you, because I can't see you. So I guess I'll say good to be seen. Hello. Hi. And uh, I got good news. Y'all can have a seat if you like. I got some really fun news. Uh, In just a couple weeks, we're penciling in the first weekend of March as the official Welcome back, kids date. So uh, services will be open. Yeah, that's a good, wow. That's right. So we'll have our venues open. We'll take as many as we can take with the, the guidelines and, and the classroom capacities and stuff. And, uh, and so we're, we're really looking forward to that time. I wanted to give you uh, just a couple uh, uh, things about that, though. Uh, the first is this. Uh, because of the CDC restrictions, uh, we will we'll fit as many as we can, and then we will, whoever shows up after that, will worship together in the auditorium. And so there's a chance that first week that we will just need grace for one another, that, that uh, we'll do the best we can to fit as many as we can. Uh, second, uh, since we met last, this is no, no news to anybody, but your kids are older. They're older now than they were then. And so some of them have changed venues, changed ministry areas. Some of the actual ministry areas have changed. And so uh, that information will be coming out, uh, emails and social media and on the Mo News page. Uh, so look for that. Uh, third, obviously, we will be social distancing, wearing masks. Uh, that'll look different in every area. It's going to look very different for babies than for students than for first graders. So it's just going to look different. And, uh, and those, again, will be coming out uh, on the web. Uh, one really important means of communication, though, is email. And I know a bunch of you have shut it off or ignored it for a bit. This would be a great time to make sure that you're signed up for uh, the Mosaic News emails. Uh, and if not, you're welcome to send an email to mosaic at fellowshipnwa.org, and we'll get you signed up for the information that you need, and, and we won't spam your inbox by any means. Um, just kind of a, a last thing or a last request as we head into a, a, a season of transition. We're, we're coming back. There's going to be uh, less kids maybe in here. There will still be kids in here. There will be some kids in other places. There will be people that you're used to seeing here at 5 o'clock that are now going to be jumping in and serving in classrooms. Can we extend just grace to one another? Uh, one of the main means of grace, you, you are you, the folks in this room especially are those that have said, I feel comfortable being out and being in a gathered space with people. And so it's likely y'all first that will have the capacity to help us open up classrooms and extend that grace to other people. And so if, if, you, if you've felt blessed by this opportunity, uh, would you help us extend that opportunity to kids, to families, to welcome them back as well, but finally, um, just the the thing that's been turning over in my mind. We we spent the first month of the year thinking about the the Thy Kingdom Come series. We were thinking about the Lord's Prayer, and and as I thought about what's going to be needed over the next several weeks, uh, I, I've been thinking about uh, the line that says, "Forgive as as we've forgiven." Uh, so as as much as we've extended forgiveness to other people, would you extend that to us? And so I, I want to flip it a little bit and, and take on a, a slightly different bent. And as those who are part of the grace family of God, that the gospel having changed us, may we give grace as much as we've been given grace. And I think if we're able to do that, if we're able to step out and see needs and fill them, if we're able to be kind when something just doesn't work like we wish it would have worked, can we just give words of grace and, and we, will, we will step through this next uh, reopening plan, this reopening transition together. So I'm looking forward to it. I know these guys are looking forward to it. I want to welcome uh, Mickey up. He's got uh, a little to share with us. I think actually this is the first time I've ever shared a stage with Mickey. So Hey, man. Hey. Hello. When you were in high school, I never pictured being on stage with you. No. I don't know. No. Back in those days, a lot save, has changed. Save those stories you, for another day. Great job. <laughs> say, he just said save those stories for another day. So maybe I'll do that. But uh, hey, I do want to say uh, in light of what he just mentioned, uh, the elders, we're watching the numbers. March 6th is a month away. And as if the numbers continue to go down, then we're going to stick with this path. But if the numbers start going back up, we'll pivot, all right? And that's for your safety and everyone else. Uh, you know, I'm not supposed to be here tonight. Uh, Matt Newman is supposed to be here, but he is quarantined. 
And so he's at home. So, hey, Matt, Martha, kids, yeah, glad, glad you're okay, but wish you could be here. Sorry the Packers won't be in the Super Bowl tomorrow night, but uh, you guys just kind of hang in there. Everybody's clapping for you in here right now. So uh, anyway, because I'm teaching this passage tomorrow morning, uh, it, last second, Matt said, hey, could you come and teach on Saturday night? And so you're stuck with me. You got the B team. But uh, thanks so much for this evening. I want to just say thank you for a few things. First of all, thank you for your participation in the gift. Over $565,000 was given to the gift this year in the midst of COVID. I think it's just tremendous. And so the elders, uh, we spent last weekend working through uh, where the gift distributions would go. We get a lot of requests every year. And I can tell you, that we were able to make a difference locally, regionally, and globally. I wish I could tell you all the places globally where it's going, but I can't because it's dangerous to the people that we're helping out. So thank you so much for your participation. You're making a difference in the lives of a lot of people in a lot of places. And I want to thank you. Uh, last weekend, uh, we were able to set aside three people as elder candidates, and you'll be introduced them to them next week. And uh, thank you for your participation in the elder nomination process, for your prayers, for all the elders and uh, for the people who were nominated. Uh, but uh, you'll meet them next week. And we have one more thing for you to do, and that's participate by affirming them as candidates. So uh, the other thing I want to tell you that we are about a year away. You have that picture, Kelsey. You see that blank field there? Well, it's not blank anymore. We've been working on Fellowship Bentonville for quite some time. And uh, I can tell you that we're about a year away from opening the doors at Fellowship Bentonville, give or take six months. Okay? Uh, that's just to keep me from locking myself down to a date on opening. But we are moving along quickly, and we feel very confident that in the first quarter of next year, we will be able to open the building. And I'll uh, show you a few pictures here. That's what it'll look like at night from the interstate. Uh, that's another shot from there, and this is what it'll look like during the day. And so it's, we're really excited about that because of this. It gives us the opportunity uh, to reach more people for Christ. Reach more people for Christ. That's what it's all about. It's all possible because of your generosity. And because of that, we haven't paid a dime of interest on that thus far. We've been able to stay ahead of the construction. And so God is good. And thank you again for your generosity. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 3 tonight studying that. And Joshua is about to lead the children of Israel across the Jordan River and take new ground. Take new ground. You know what? That's what we're supposed to be doing here at Fellowship Bible Church in Northwest Arkansas. We are not to hold the ground that we've got. We are to take new ground. We have a mandate from God to grow. Amen? We have a mandate, a biblical mandate to grow, to reach new people. The Great Commission and the Great Commandment tells us to love God, love others, make disciples. And that's what we're supposed to be about. So let's not sit soaking sour. Let's let Joshua be an example to us all tonight as we study the scripture of taking new ground, believing that God will use us for his great purpose. Let's pray to that end and then let's worship together, all right? Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to worship before you, to come into this place and to remember what it's all about. For those, Lord, worshiping with us online, I pray, Father, that, that they will feel the same thing we feel in this room right now. That, Lord, you are our great God and King. That you want to accomplish your will through us. And, Lord, that you will do amazing things. We've got to believe the promise in order to experience the joy. It's in Christ's name we pray for this hour. Would you stand and sing this together? One voice, one family tonight.
saving acts all day long. Though I know not how to relate them all, I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, sovereign Lord. I will proclaim your righteous deeds, yours alone. Since my youth, God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation your mighty acts to all who are to come. What gift of grace is Jesus my
for this time to worship. And as we open your word, God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear how you are leading, how you have led all through scripture, how you've shown yourself faithful to be reminded that your faithfulness endures. We love you, God. Your ways are the best ways. We follow you. We love you. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. this thing so much I forget to take it off my assistant walked in the office the other day and I was sitting there by myself and she said do you just like wearing that thing <laughs> have you ever stood at the water's edge of a difficult situation not knowing what you were going to do Stood there wondering, should I wait on the Lord or should I just try to figure it out myself? Or so often, like I've done at times, forget about the Lord and just start trying to figure it out yourself. <laughs> I see a lot of head nods right now. But that's where Joshua was. With the swollen river in front of him and with two million people behind him, wondering what's next. Those words of the Lord must have rung in his ears and in his heart and his mind be strong, be courageous. And then the Lord would say, Tomorrow, Tell the Israelites that I'm going to do amazing things. Sometimes God does amazing things that we don't expect, that we can't explain. He goes before us in ways that we could never imagine. Through the 40 years that I've been in ministry, I've seen God do some amazing things. One was when I was first in ministry and I was doing student ministry and music and, and I'd taken a group of kids, 55 chaperones and kids to Washington, D.C. And I tried to do this on a regular basis in the early years because I really wanted to see, I wanted the kids to see how God was carved in stone all over our nation's capital. You know what I'm talking about. And so we were there, and, and we were doing some sightseeing and so forth, and, and we came in from the Washington Monument. I wanted them to see the Capitol and everything at night from the Washington Monument, and we got back to the hotel about midnight, and between that time and waking up the next morning, someone stole our van and trailer. Now, every seat on the old school bus, I wish they had stolen the school bus because one of the kids had vomited on it on the way out there, and it just smelled awful. You just can't get that out, you know? It just lingers. 
And um, they didn't steal the bus. They sold a van with a trailer behind it that carried all the luggage. And that's real important when you got 55. Now, uh, they, they, they took the van and the trailer, and there are, are pictures of me somewhere floating around Arkansas of sitting in a police car because all the kids were taking pictures of me sitting in the police car, giving them the report. Well, we went on into the city during the day, and we uh, just crammed on the bus. And That night, I got a call from the police that they had found our van, but not the trailer. Said the van is drivable. You'll just have to get the ignition fixed and so forth, but it'll work for you. And so I called Jartran, the trailer company. I don't even know if they're in, in business anymore. Trailers weren't that plentiful back then for rent and things like that. So I called them. They said, no, you have to pay for it before you can get another trailer. Excuse me? You have to pay for the trailer that was stolen before you can get another one. I didn't have a credit card. Back then, I, you know, this was the early 80s. I didn't have any way of getting another trailer. So we didn't know what we were going to do. And there weren't that many other trailer companies to try. No one would really work with me. And so I told the kids the day that we were supposed to leave, we were going to leave Washington, D.C. about 5 o'clock in the afternoon. I said, you just come down, put all your luggage in my room, and I'll figure out something before we're supposed to leave today. Well, while that was going on, a couple of our chaperones took the van from Bowie, Maryland to Chevy Chase, Maryland. There was a Dodge dealership there, and they were getting the ignition fixed. And while they were getting the ignition fixed, they walked across the street to a service station to get a cup of coffee. And while they were there, they were telling the owner of the service station about what had happened to us. And he said, what kind of trailer was it? And they said, Jartran. He said, how big was it? And they told him how big it was. And he looked at him and he said, man, I've got your trailer. And they said, you've got a trailer for us to use? And he said, no, 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 I've got your trailer. He said, I, I live outside of town on, on a quiet road. And he said, night before last, somebody dumped that trailer on, on the road leading to my house. And so I just pulled it up in my yard. So as soon as you get your van, we'll go out to my house and we'll get your trailer. Yeah. Now that's just coincidence, right? It's just coincidence. It's on the, in those moments like that when God leans down and leans in and says, I'm here. I'm here. And I've had several points in my life where I've gotten the chills on the back of my neck as God reminded me that he was there. Well, a little history lesson here and just, just remembering that God heard the cries of his children as, as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and, then, and then Jacob had a son named Joseph who became the prime minister of Egypt. And then after Joseph died, the Egyptians forgot about Joseph. And over time, they enslaved the children of Israel. And the children of Israel cried out to God, how long, O oh Lord, will we be enslaved? And God heard their cries, and he sent Moses. In about 1446 B.C., he led the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. And his goal was to give them that land, that gift of promised land to the children of Israel. But what did the children of Israel do? They disobeyed God. They made it as hard as they possibly could for God to care for them and love them because of their disobedience. And in Numbers chapter 14, God was about to kill them. He'd had enough. And Moses begged with him not to do that. Numbers 14, the Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. And so they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. 
No one over the age of 20, the age of military service, would enter the land. They would die in the wilderness. And when they entered the Holy Land, under the leadership of Joshua and Caleb, God's chosen people were, ex were assigned the task of executing the holy and righteous judgment of God by clearing the land of its inhabitants, the Canaanites. Why? It's because the Canaanites had defiled the land with their perverted, gross, carnal practices. They had turned the land, the gift that God wanted to give his chosen people, they had turned it into Sodom and Gomorrah. You read about that in Leviticus chapter 18. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt, where you've come from. And you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I'm bringing you. Do not follow their practices. And then he lists many of the detestable practices. And I'm not going to mention those in here because we've got children in the room. He listed what they had done and the perversion that they were practicing. And then he wraps it up with a little warning to Israel. He says, do not defile yourselves in any of these ways because this is how the nations that I am going to drive out before you became defiled. Even the land was defiled. God's gift to his people was defiled because of their practices. And it needed to be cleansed. He said, even the land was defiled, so I punished it for its sin, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you must keep my decrees and my laws. The native-born and the foreigners residing among you must not do any of these detestable things. For all these things were done by the people who lived in the land before you, and the land became defiled. And if you defile the land, it will vomit you out as it vomited out the nations who were before you. And so now they stand at the water's edge. It's time to enter the land that God had promised. So look at Joshua chapter 3 and verse 1. Early in the morning, feel the anticipation. It's time. It's time. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. Now I want to show you where this is. Uh, this is the map of, of that area, and then there's a circle there, the place of crossing. It's right across from Jericho and even nearer to Gilgal, and you'll read about that a lot as you read the Old Testament. But here's a picture of the place where you can go now. It's called the place of crossing. That's the, that's the Jordan River at that spot. It's called Bethabara. And I know it doesn't look like much right there. But there are times when that river becomes flooded and swollen. As a matter of fact, when you go to the place where I took that picture from, there's a, there, there's a high wall, and it shows you how high the water was when it flooded the last time. It will be up to a mile and a half wide. Because you see, when the snow melts from Mount Hermon, and, and when the spring rains come, there in, in the Jordan Rift Valley that sits in the midst of the Great Rift Valley, those waters come down. And, and you have Jerusalem that sits 1,200 uh, feet above sea level. And then you've got the Dead Sea sitting 1,200 feet below sea level. And that water rushes through those valleys and those gorges from both sides. And it just fills. But it's a beautiful place. And uh, if you'd like to go there, Nick Rowland's going to take a group this year in November. I'll be taking a group next year in uh, March of 2022. And then Sam Hannon will take a group the next year after that. Just email us and, and we will get you on a list. But that's Beth Barra. Verse 2, after three days... The officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant. Now what did the Ark of the Covenant represent among the people of Israel? What? God's presence. Yes, God's presence. It, 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 it contained the, the uh, tablets of stone with the law written on it. It contained uh, Aaron's rod that it budded. And it contained a jar of manna. But it represented the presence of God among the people. When the ark was present, they knew the Lord was among them. 
He said, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. And then you will know which way to go since you've never been this way before. God didn't let them come near this place when they were wandering in the wilderness. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits. That's over a half mile. Look at this. Keep a distance of over a half mile between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. Why? Because they were to reverence the Ark of God. And keep their distance from it. Now we find a series of messages beginning in in, uh, verse 5. The first one is Joshua told the people. He speaks to the people. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Mark that verse in your Bible. First of all, consecrate yourselves. What does that mean? Separate yourself from unholy things. Separate yourselves from those unholy things and unto God. Get clean before him. And we need to remember that. Because of our sin nature, we're always prone to sin. And there are times when we need to come before God to to cleanse ourselves before God, not to restore our relationship with him, but to restore our fellowship with him. Because when we... When we get too involved in our sinful nature, we need to restore our fellowship. Just like Adam in the garden, when God came down, they hid from him. And that's what we do. We want to run from God when we've sinned. But we need to run to him. And then he says this, tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Here's the question. Do you believe God can do amazing things in your life? Or is that just something he does for other people? Do we really believe that? Jim Von Grimp this past year was standing at the water's edge. I've known him for over 30 years. And one rainy day, I went over to see him and pray for him. But before he went down to MD Anderson, he was given a bleak prognosis. He would undergo weeks and weeks of weeks of very tough chemotherapy just so that they could possibly do surgery and spare his life for a little while. Listen to his story. I developed a lyomyosarcoma last July. I guess I developed it a long time before that, just they diagnosed it then. Went to MD Anderson in Houston uh, got a diagnosis that was difficult because uh, sarcomas are a very deadly type of cancer. From the start, I just decided that this was kind of a checkpoint in my life to what did I believe and how deep did I believe and how deep did I trust and uh, found an unbelievable peace by believing and turning over to God uh, things that uh, I just couldn't do by myself. I'm a fixer, and so I'm used to solving other people's problems, and this was kind of unusual for me, but, uh, but it was a very important moment in my life that, that I said, I trust God and His plan is my plan. And no matter how de- what the depths are, I will not vary from that. I will not worry. I will, I will be positive and believe in God. The verse that kind of, that I, I, I tried to speak every day while I was in, in Houston was the fact that to, you've got to believe in the promise to receive the joy. And I guess during this, this time period, the period of teaching, we could say you've got to believe in the promise to receive amazing things from God. And you've got to believe every day. And, uh, and that little simple phrase, uh, every morning, put a smile on my face no matter what I was going through at the time. Went through chemo, went through a uh, surgery. We had four surgeons lined up. Uh, fortunately, at the end, we didn't really have uh, um, to use a couple of the surgeons because the miracle that occurred um, right before my surgery allowed the tumor to only wrap around my kidney. And so instead of having four or five organs that uh, had to have surgery on, I just had one. And, uh, and that was the miracle that occurred that I woke up and I was healed, I firmly believe that it it was a miracle from God, help being delivered by people here at Fellowship, other friends that I have, uh, 
as you know, I've, I'm a personal real believer in the fellowship card ministry and what that meant to my life. But uh, miracles do occur and they occurred in me. And five years ago, they occurred in my son, Alan, uh, who was a physician uh, here and now lives in Chattanooga, Tennessee, but he got another cancer, a different type, but with mutations that, uh, again, there was no real good treatment plan for him. And he was, uh, went through a lot of struggles. He went through chemo, uh, he went through stem cell transplant. Um, and in the end, he was basically, the doctors couldn't do anything else for him. Anything else they would have done would have probably ended his life. Between that time and a few weeks later, through the night, counted over a thousand people that were praying for Alan. And uh, they decided to go ahead and take the tumor out so he would be cancer-free for a short period of time because the cancer would come back. If it was alive, there would still be cells in. And when they uh, uh, opened him up, the tumor had died that uh, was you know, on fire on the tests when the doctors uh, released him to go home. So two miracles in our life. And uh, you know, one is enough to make you believe. Two is enough to really help you understand that the power that God has and the power that prayer has in our lives. And uh, it just, I mean, I count myself real lucky to have had two blessings in a five-year period two miracles and uh, amazing what God can do and the way that God answers prayer. When you have a serious illness, uh, a life-threatening situation that you're not in control and, and, uh, and you need to, if you haven't already, you, you need to completely give it over to God and, and just believe that his plan is the right plan for your life or for the life of one of your loved ones. It's, it's difficult to, to do until you do it. And then it's, it's simple because it, it takes something off of you that you, you can't really bear by yourself. To me, I became, a, a, I don't know, a different type of believer or, or, or more intense or, or something happened that was very, very positive in my life when I just turned everything over to God. You have to believe in the promise to receive the joy. And when I sat in Jim's house and prayed with him, I remember him telling me, whatever God has for me, I'm okay. But he believed. You know, not every story turns out like that because we trust in the sovereignty of God. None of us are going to live forever. But we trust in the sovereign hand of God. But sometimes, as he did with Jim and Susan, at that point he laid down and said, I'm here. I'm here. Then Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. And so they took it and went ahead of them. Not knowing what was going to happen, they just obeyed. And then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Now he wasn't exalting Joshua for Joshua's sake. He just wanted those stubborn and rebellious people to see that he was with Joshua just like he was with Moses. And remember, Moses was called the friend of God. And then he says, tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the water's edge of the Jordan's, uh, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Now, I'm sure they looked at one another. Like, what? Because <laughs> that river was swollen. It was rushing. Think Colorado River running through the Grand Canyon. Think rapids. Go stand in the water. But they did it. And then Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know 
This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Gergesites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Often the, all of the people who were in the land of Canaan, they were called the Canaanites. But here it breaks out some of the different tribes that were there. In verse 11, he says, See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. God's presence is leading the way. And they're to follow where God takes them. And he said, now then choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand in a heap. I like the way it says that. The waters will stand in a heap. Now, I have a, something to show you there. Um, the waters were standing in a heap. It seemed impossible. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. And now the Jordan is at flood stage during the harvest, which we've already talked about. Yet as soon, immediately... Immediately, as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. And so the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Now look at the map here. Uh, that's the area, again, that we're talking about. And so you see at the top, there is a dam. That's where the water was cut off. And you see the Jabbok River comes in from this side. And there was a, a city there, Zarathan. And that was a place where it was a trade route. That's where the water was piled up in a heap. And it's about 16 miles north of Bethbara, the place of crossing. Bethbara was the place where... Uh, uh, they crossed the Jordan. It's a place where Elijah and Elijah crossed, Elisha crossed on dry ground. It was the place where Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. It was a significant place. And when you stand there, you just imagine what it was like for those waters to be piled up in a heap on both ends. Now, I would encourage you, let the Bible say what the Bible says. Let the Bible say what the Bible says. Every, it, it seems like every time I read this passage or about the Red Sea, somebody has to come up with a scientific ex explanation for it. Well, at Adam, there are limestone cliffs, and probably what happened was the limestone fell into the river and it caused the water to stop. Or others say, well, you know, earthquakes have happened in that area that caused the water to stop. Well, if it was an earthquake or limestone, why couldn't God just stop the water as easy as he could do all that? Uh, don't get to the place where we diminish the supernatural acts of God by imagining that we have to give them a scientific explanation. Just let God be God. And let the Bible say what the Bible says. And consider these facts. The event came to pass as predicted in verses 13 and 15. The timing was exact. The event took place when the river was at flood stage. The wall of water was held in place for many hours and not long enough to get two million people through. The soft, wet river bottom became dry at once, and the water returned immediately as soon as the people and the priests had crossed over. So there are a lot of things that you can look at that are specific in the Scriptures. In verse 17, the priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground. While all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Not even a puddle out there. They didn't stand around and wait for the water to get dry. God dried it up. Because he told them he would do amazing things on this day. It was a true miracle of God. And as the people crossed that river and as they looked at the Ark of the Covenant out there, God leaned down and said, I'm here. <laughs> I'm here. I'm going to do amazing things before you. Just watch. It was the end of an era. The end of the wilderness wanderings. 
There would be no need for a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. As soon as they celebrated the Passover in the new land, the manna would not be around anymore. They were to go into the land and be God's image bearers. That's what they were called to do. Dr. John Walbert said this, by this great miracle, the crossing of the Jordan River at flood stage by a nation of about 2 million people, God was glorified, Joshua was exalted, Israel was encouraged, and the Canaanites were terrified. They were terrified because the God of Israel was about to give his gift of land to his people. The question would be this. What would the Israelites do with this incredible gift from God, their father? What would they do with it? Would they be his image bearers? Would they complete their task and take the new ground? Or would they say, no, we don't, we don't think so. Would they follow God's commands? You know, we get frustrated with the children of Israel their disobedience to God, how God gave them this land flowing with milk and honey and how they disobeyed him. We get frustrated with them. Why can't you just see? But maybe we should bring that forward a few thousand years. How does it relate to us? God has given us a great gift. Our salvation in Jesus Christ. Are we squandering his gift that he has given us? Or are we using it for his glory? Do we believe that he can do amazing things before us, that person that you work with? And you think, oh, they'll never come to know Jesus Christ. Let God be God. Let God do his thing in their life. You just be his image bearer. Let them see him in you and watch how God does amazing things among us. Oh, we need to have faith. As we stand at the water's edge, we need to believe in him enough to know that he can act on our behalf in ways that we could never imagine. You got to believe the promise to receive the joy. I learned that from Jim. You got to believe the promise to receive the joy. So what's the ride home? Trust God to keep his promises because he does. Trust God and follow his commands. Even when the river looks flooded and daunting, start walking toward the water. Start walking toward the water. Believe in him and entrust him to do amazing things. You know, I used to sing a song a long time ago. The last verse went like this. It says, sometimes it's good to look back down. We've come so far. We've gained such ground. But joy is not in where we've been. Joy is who's waiting at the end. He's the one who does amazing things. Let's pray. Oh, God and Father, we thank you for this incredible story. It awakens us to your greatness, to your goodness. Oh, Lord, as we're in this place in this moment, would you speak to us? about what you have in store. Just take a moment and talk to God. Ask him to give you the faith to trust in him for amazing things. Say, Lord, take away my cynicism, my doubt, I believe, help my unbelief. 
Say, Lord, make me an image bearer. Help me to be one who lives in such a way that others see you in me. And, oh, Lord, help us to walk so closely with you that when you do amazing things among us, that we know your voice. And when you say, I'm here, Lord, that we take great joy in knowing that you're walking this journey with us. Oh, you are an amazing, amazing God. Thank you for loving us. Church, let's stand together and sing in Christ alone as one voice, one family in this room tonight. Fullness of faith. Next step forward, even when the water is to our knees and we haven't seen him move yet, maybe sing this in faith. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, Scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. There in the ground, his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, since curse has on me, for I am his, and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life, no fear in death, this is the power of Christ in me, from life's first cry 
to final breath. Jesus commands my destiny. Sing it out. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home here in Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Thank you for gathering as a family tonight. Mosaic, would we be people of faith this week? Please, Lord Jesus, King of kings, our Savior and our friend, be near to us this week and may your spirit lead us as we step out in faith. We believe, help our unbelief. Help our unbelief. Hey, if you're holding something in, if you need to share or ask for prayer or be loved or love on someone, reach out to someone around you, have a conversation, keep your masks up. Um, and and uh, we're also gonna be out in the lobby as well. Um, if you'd like prayer, we'd love to pray for you. We'll see you next week, praying for you this week, my friends. Good night.